0: our old testament reading is from exodus chapter 20 verses 1 through 17 and god spoke all these words saying i am the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt out of the house of slavery Or anything that is your neighbor's. The Word of the Lord. Be
1: to God. Today we begin a, a brand new sermon series called Ten. Uh, and so uh, the first one we want to look at is God number one in your life. In the book we call the Bible, God has given us his absolute truth. One of the places we find God's truth exemplified is in the Ten Commandments. These commandments let us know what right is and what wrong is or what is true and what is false or what is up or what is down. The commandments were never given to keep us in bondage. They were given as protection to keep us out of evil. So let's look at these commandments that God gave to Moses. It was Abraham Lincoln who said, But for the Ten Commandments we would not know what right, was, what right was from wrong. We can either accept these truths that God gave us from Mount Sinai, or we can fight against them and reap the inevitable results. One man said, You can't break the laws of God. You can only break yourself against them. Now, this is not the opinion of many today. Listen to what Ted Turner Media mogul who founded CNN said, "He said we live, we are living with outmoded rules today, and the rules we are living with are the Ten Commandments. I bet no one has ever ever pays much attention to them because they are too old. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai, there were no nuclear weapons, there was no poverty. Today, the commandments won't go, don't go over well, or won't go over well. Nobody likes to be commanded." Commandments are out. In the world we live in today, there is an attempt to water down or even do away with any moral law or any moral compass. Today we talk about values. And values are all relative, aren't they? Values are all relative. It's how you measure yourself. A value is a measurement. And quite frankly, in a Christian context, a value is irrelevant. We have been conned and tricked. There has been a bait and switch. I want to know whatever happened to virtues. Where did virtues go? No one ever talks about virtues in me. Why? Because virtues are not relative. Virtues are absolutes. A virtuous life is lived out by a power and an authority that is not our own. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 5 says, And besides this give all diligence add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge faith is a in the greek the greek word is pistis means moral conviction means assurance means belief it means fidelity and virtue in the greek is arete the word arete means valor it means excellence it means power It means uh, superlative. So here we get the root word from arete uh, for our English word aristocrat, which means noble, superior and superlative. So here the Apostle Peter is saying, add to your faith, add to your moral conviction, add to your assurance, add to your fidelity, excellence, might, might, and power. Add to your faith an absolute, not a value, not a measurement, not something tangible. So what do we do when, what do we do, what we do have, sorry, in the place of the Ten Commandments today? What do we have in the place of the Ten Commandments today? Well, we have moral relativism. Some call it a new atheism. Both are the same. So what is that? The belief that there is no moral absolutes, that you have... The right to say what you have to say, the right, uh, what is right and what is wrong, uh, either subjectively or objectively. You know that it, it teaches that we are all products of an evolutionary process, uh, including our morals. That there is no God, there is no devil, there is no plan or purpose for our life. Moral relativism, relativism teaches that we uh, make our own fate, that we ha- are, are, are basically good inside, and if we do go bad, it's simply the product of our environment. Moral relativism teaches that there are no absolutes, that we all have our own truth, that we all have our own values. What is true for you is not necessarily true for me. And if you disagree with this philosophy, you are labelled insensitive, intolerant, a bigot, narrow-minded. If you dare quote the Bible then you are seeking to impose a puritanical or an imperialistic value system on someone else. And we wonder why young people in our community are so confused and lost uh, in the bearings of their life. Professor and educator William Kilpatrick discusses moral illiteracy in his book that he observed among his students. He said one day in class they were talking about the Ten Commandments and he wanted to list them down on the whiteboard. And this is what he says. He says, It wasn't that individuals couldn't think of them at all. The whole class working together could not come up with a complete list of the Ten Commandments. The Barna Group, which is a Christian think tank, reported that the generation leading the way forward uh, toward moral relativism is Generation X, the people born between 1965 and 1983. This generation rejects absolute truth by a staggering 78%. The writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who went on a backslide, he went out and pretty much sampled everything that a human being could sample in the world and what the world had to offer. Here is his conclusion at the end of his book. He says in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13, he says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. In other words, he says, After all of this, there is only one thing to say, have reverence for God, and obey his commandments because this is all that we were created for. If you were able to list the Ten Commandments in order of importance, would you follow the order that God gave? It's an interesting question, isn't it? There was a survey that was done among theological students and they changed the order around. They thought that the number one commandment should be you shall not murder, followed by you shall not commit adultery. It was their opinion that you shall, not have no, you shall have no gods before me should be at the bottom of the list. But according to the Lord, it's at the top of the list, isn't it? Why is this particular commandment so important to God? Because it gets down this morning to the heart of the whole matter. If God is not first in your life, everything else is going to break down. Everything. Everything's going to break down. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 31 says, One of the teachers of the law came, to, came and heard uh, them debating and n- noticed that Jesus had given them a good answer. He said to him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandments greater than these. Jesus sums up the entire Ten Commandments in two single thoughts. Love God more than anyone or anything else, and have no other gods before me. So the question is this morning, do you have another God before the Lord? A straw poll was done with people on the street, and 76% considered themselves completely true to the first commandment. In other words, most people admitted to breaking the other commandments, but they had the first one locked in. I've never had another God. Everyone has a God, beloved. Everyone has a God. Everyone bows at some altar. Everyone worships someone or something. Even an atheist has a God. For some, their God would be their possessions or it would be their money. You can spend your whole life chasing after these things and still be empty. That's why the Bible warns us in First Timothy chapter six, verse 10, "For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covered after, they have entered, or they have erred, sorry, from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows." Jesus tells uh, a, well, there's a great story in the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus tells us uh, about or we see this interaction in the story between Jesus and the rich young ruler in Luke 18, uh, 18 to 23. And it says a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false witness. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. So let's unpack this for a moment. This was not about this man's money this morning. This was about his heart. Jesus saw through this man like a window that this man was in love with his money. This man was in love with his things. They were more important to him than God himself. And this is why he asks him to give up everything. And the young man was unwilling to do that. This young man had another God before God. And that is why he went away sorrowful. Other people worship pleasure. Philippians 3.19 says they are heading for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. This is talking about people who live for that rush, people who live for the buzz, people who live for the thrill, whether it's a substance or uh, an engagement in an action or even both. Whatever it is, the scripture is clear. It's about a perverted appetite. Second Timothy chapter three verses four to five says, "Lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God." having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, for such have turned away. We all worship something or someone. So which altar do you bow at? So we've jumped ahead and discussed verse 3 of Exodus first. So let's go back to verse 2. I am the Lord your God who rescued rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. It's amazing how much it revealed, it, How much is revealed by just the simple words such as I. I am the Lord your God. This little pronoun is only one letter long and conveys a profound fundamental truth about who God is. When he says, I am the Lord, he is refuting all other belief systems including pantheism, including polytheism, including uh, uh, deism, and New Age thinking. When God says, I am, he is revealing himself as a person. In essence, he is saying, I feel, I think, I act. Not as pantheism, which teaches all is God, the universe is God. But the Lord is saying, no, I am God. Polytheism teaches that there are many gods. Hinduism is a a good example of a polytheistic religion. Deism expresses the idea that there is a God, but he has no plan or purpose for our lives. The basic tenet of deism is that God created the universe, wound it up like a clock, and then just walked away and forgot about it. They would say that God has no interest in the affairs of humanity. Finally, there's new age thought. Basically, that says the answer is inside of you. They would go as far as to say that that you are a God. The phrase new age is quite comical because new age thinking is nothing new. It's the old lie from the devil. It's old thinking. It's old age. One man said, all news is old news happening to new people, Ecclesiastes one nine says, "There is nothing new under the sun, nothing." So the statement, "I am the Lord," refutes all other belief systems. It reminds us of the authenticity. It reminds us of the veracity. It, inv- it reminds us of the trustworthiness of what we call today the Bible. Jesus said in John three twenty, "Everyone who does evil hates the light." And will not come into the light for fear of his or her deeds being exposed. And so when people get angry, whose name do they take in vain? When was the last time you heard someone hit their thumb with a hammer and say, Ah, Buddha. or Hare Krishna. Why is it that the Lord, the name of the Lord is invoked? Why is that? Even atheists will say the name Jesus. Why do they use it? Because in their twisted and perverse way, they recognize there is power in that name. There is power in that name. It comes down to this. The world is looking for a belief system that accommodates their lifestyle. The world wants to have its cake and eat it too. Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 to 6 says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations for those who love me and keep my commands here's the problem we assign human attributes to God So when we think of jealousy, we think of the way we show jealousy. There's a right way and a wrong way to be jealous. God is not referring to the jealousy of a jilted lover who is controlling, who is demanding, who flies into rage without the slightest reason or provocation. This jealousy is that of a jealous father. This is the jealousy of that the lord is talking about the jealousy of a of a loving father who sees the potential who sees the possibility of his children and is broken hearted when those things are not realized or even worse they are wasted and squandered this reality is of those of us who are parents and grandparents you are a jealous parent You are a jealous grandparent. You want the best for your children. You want the best for your grandchildren. You want them to reach their full potential and you want them to be all that God wants them to be. You are a jealous husband. You are a jealous wife. You want an exclusive commitment on the part of your spouse to you and to you alone. And you have every right to want that. I want the best for Giselle. I want her to be all that she can be and all that God has called her to be. The word jealousy speaks of ownership. God is saying, I love you. You belong to me. I am the Lord who rescued you from the land of Egypt and took you out of slavery. And because of this, God says, I want an exclusive relationship with you and you can have an exclusive relationship with me in return. So the command is, have no other gods before me. Do you have another God before the Lord this morning? Another God or another idol? Is there anyone or anything that takes the place of God in your life? Commandment number two is found in verse four. It says, You shall not make yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So the question that we need to ask is, how could anyone bow down before a graven image? Now let's look at how it happened to the Israelites. After Moses had received these Ten Commandments, he was descending Mount Sinai. And Moses heard a lot of noise, and he thinks it's war. And as he gets closer, he realises it was a party. The sight that he saw as he held the commandments was all the people dancing. They were drunk before a golden calf. Aaron rushes to him and says, I know this looks bad, Moses. I know what you're thinking. But I can explain everything. Let's pick up what Aaron explains. uh, Chapter 32, verses 22 to 24. Aaron answered, You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, Make us gods who will will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, Whoever has any gold jewellery, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. That's what it says. What really happened? The Israelites came to Aaron after Moses had been gone for a while. Exodus 31 verse 1 says, They gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As this fellow Moses Brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And here is the twist to all this story in, in, in verses five and six. It says he built an altar in front of the uh, he built an altar uh, in front of the calf and announced, "Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord." So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterwards, they sat down and they ate and drank and got up and indulged in revelry. So before they had time, yeah, so before they had time, before they had time to worship the golden calf, they actually had a proper church service to put it in contemporary language. They mingled what was right with what was wrong. Essentially, they were saying this spirituality of Moses is just too high for us. We want a God we can relate to, something we can see, something we can touch, a God that appeals to our senses. We, we don't want to feel guilty. We don't want to be told what is right and what is wrong. We don't want to be challenged. We don't want to have uh, to focus. We don't want to have to strive. We don't want to have to attain. So we'll make ourselves our own version of what we want in a God. This is the spirituality of so many today. I hear Christians making statements that to me is so alarming. You know, my God would never judge a person. Or my God would never send a person to hell. If your God is the God of the Bible, then we need to go with what the Bible says about him. Not the politically correct version Not the culturally sensitive version. The goal is not to conform the teachings of God and Scripture to the shifting winds and the shifting sands of our culture. The goal is to be the light and the example to our culture using the teachings of the Word of God. That's the goal. By saying this was a festival unto the Lord... It was like saying religious duty first and then let's go and get drunk. Cover, let's cover all of our spiritual bases first and then commit fornication and sexual immorality. I could go on and on, but you get the point, right? Have no other gods before me. John four twenty three to 24 says, True worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. A man or a woman who is right with God doesn't need images, icons, or idols. Whether they be actual, whether they be overt, whether they be made of plaster or concrete or pictures or wood, or, and this is the most seductive and suggestive or subjective of all, the idols and the false gods of religious duty, the idols and the false gods of political correctness, the idols and the false gods of self-importance, having a form of godliness but denying the power of God, faithless ritual, guilt, self-loathing, bitterness. People hang on to that stuff purposely like a pet keeping it fed and warm and caring for it so that it lives and it grows strong and it forms an identity. If that is what you're doing, then that is an idol. Anything that gets in between you and God is an idol. God wants you and I to relate to him in a spiritual way. Not through ritual, not through guilt, not through self-pity, not through status. The bottom line is, is God number one in your life? Or are you allowing other gods to crowd him out of your life? An idol is anyone or anything that takes the place of God in your life, or even episodes and times in your life. Jesus brought it all together when he said in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 to 31, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And so Jesus sums up the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments can be broken down into two parts this morning. The first four commandments communicate my relationship with God. The second six commandments communicate my relationship with others. The first four teach love for God. Commandments five to ten teach love for others. The first set of commandments are vertically integrated. The second set are horizontally integrated. If I truly love God, I will not have other gods before him. If I truly love God, I would not need graven images. If I truly love God, I won't take his name in vain. In turn, if I truly love God, I will love my neighbour as myself. I won't steal from them. I won't lie to them. I won't covet what belongs to them. And I certainly won't kill them. These are the Ten Commandments, beloved. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we realize more and more how despicable and obnoxious is the practice of idolatry. When someone or something is seated on the throne of our lives instead of Lord Jesus Christ, the true and the living God, keep us from any form of idolatry. Protect us from the wills and the wiles of the devil and help us to keep our eyes and our hearts on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who alone is worthy of worship and praise, knowing that we died with him and have been raised up in him into newness of life. We pray that the king or the queen of self may be kept in a place of death And that we will not be hoodwinked into giving honour to anything except to our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, Father. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.